Welcome to the Woman Warriors Podcast, where we're working to help you call a truce with your anxiety. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, here's your host, Elizabeth Cush, LCPC. Hi, and welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. I'm very excited to be back after a week on vacation. Um, I was able to take some time to get away, rest, relax. It was nice not to have the pressure of trying to get the podcast out when internet connection was not necessarily reliable. So there is some audio weirdness uh, on this podcast. I apologize there's some echo around my voice a few times, especially at the beginning of the podcast. I hope you'll stick with it. There's a lot of great information. Um, I wasn't able to edit that out. So once again, as I said, sorry that the quality is not perfect, but we're human. Can't always control these things. Let's get started. Today, my guest is Dr. Gretchen Kubaki. She's a health psychologist in private practice in Southern California. She is a certified polycystic ovary syndrome educator, a frequent lecturer on women's health, and the founder of the popular website picoswellness.com. She is dedicated to education, advocacy, and empowerment for women and girls with PICOS. She's been featured on U.S. News and World Report and The Atlantic, and she's been featured on the podcast Picos Diva. Today, we're going to talk about polycystic ovary syndrome and her book, Gretchen's book, The Picos Mood Cure. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Gretchen, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for inviting me on. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on. And I, I would love it if you would share a little bit about yourself and why you do the work that you do. Sure. So I'm a health psychologist in Los Angeles, California, and I have a specialty focus on women's mental health, medical health, uh, gynecological and endocrine disorders, and especially something called polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS, which I just wrote a book on last year. I'm also a certified bereavement facilitator, and I specialize in uh, not the usual losses. So I work with people who have suicide, homicide, miscarriage, sudden accidental death, that sort of thing. Mm. So there's an intersection between chronic health issues and the losses and grief associated with that as well. So that's kind of my, my realm. Mm -hmm. So I really would like to focus on the polycystic Mm -hmm. um, ovary syndrome. I know you and I have sort of chatted back pre, you know, pre this podcast about that. And I've sure. watched a couple of your, or listened to a few of your podcast episodes around that. And mm -hmm. so can you define for us, you know, what is PICOS? What is polycystic ovary syndrome? Sure. <laughs> it is a mouthful. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> and it's a terrible misnomer because it actually doesn't have a whole lot to do with your ovaries. 
Um, so what it is, is the most common endocrine disorder affecting women. It is thought to affect up to 22% of women, which wow. is a fairly startling number. Yeah. Um, at least half of those don't know they have it. And a lot of medical professionals know nothing or next to nothing about it. So getting diagnosed is um, it's difficult. It's more of an exclusionary diagnosis. And typically what happens is either you have really bad symptoms starting in adolescence and somebody starts going, hey, wait a minute, this is worse than just a teenager with irregular periods. Mm -hmm. Or you are 20, 30, 40 trying to get pregnant and you can't, or you've had many miscarriages and you end up going to see your gynecologist or a reproductive endocrinologist for some help getting pregnant and you get diagnosed with PCOS. Mm. So what is it symptomatically? It's defined by having insulin resistance, excess cysts in your ovaries, infertility, and then a whole host of other symptoms. At this point, there's probably about 50 or 60 symptoms, but the, the worst ones include a seven times greater risk of heart disease, 50% of women by the age of 40 developing early onset type 2 diabetes, a significant portion of women having hypothyroidism and high cholesterol. There's central abdominal obesity, mm -hmm. acne, male pattern balding, so hair loss on your head, mm -hmm. and a bunch of other stuff. So those are kind of the, the highlights, but it affects everything in your body. So there can be other skin conditions associated with it. Hirsutism, which is excess hair on the body mm -hmm. where it doesn't belong. So like for women having really dark, hairy arms or having a beard mm -hmm. would be a very typical symptom. And of course, infertility, is, it's the primary cause of female infertility. So all around, and, and then on the mental health side, um, much higher risk and incidence of eating disorders, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, and suicide. So it is really complicated, and it has a horrible quality of life impact on women. Wow. And, you know, you mentioned that it's the number one cause of infertility in women. So like, yes. and that if there's 22% of the population that is being impacted or affected by this, like, why, why don't we know more? Why, why don't people talk about this? Or what, what's like, I don't, I was just so blown away by yeah. those statistics <laughs> that I was like, this can't be true, but obviously it is. Yeah. So actually, in some populations, it's as high as 25%. And I've even heard of some people estimating higher still, like as high as 33%. I think the common accepted number is 10 to 20%. Mm -hmm. But when you look at those who are pre-diabetic and who are presenting with symptoms of insulin resistance and obesity and, and similar things, I think that what's happening kind of collectively to our health is that we're developing a lot more endocrine disorders. The common theory about this is we've got endocrine disruptors, uh, so toxins in our environment, toxins in our food, that sort of thing mm -hmm. that are contributing to a breakdown in the system. But why doesn't anybody know about this disorder? A um, lot, of, lot of ideas around that. One is it's, it's mysterious, it's confusing. If you look at the symptom sets, you could see someone who's actually thin but who has thinning hair and no insulin resistance and acne. She mm -hmm. has PCOS. You look at a more classic PCOS 
patient, which is someone who is significantly overweight, maybe has the acne, the excess dark hair growing, and mood symptoms. They look like totally different people. And it's very, it's very hard because this is one of the many invisible illnesses that we deal with. And, and autoimmune disorders are another zone where I think there's been a huge increase in diagnosis. So we have more awareness, but the treatment options are not great. They typically throw a couple of prescriptions at you like birth control pills and maybe something called metformin to regulate insulin resistance mm -hmm. and send you on your way. And the real work on, on getting better is a lifestyle change. But I think there's not much research money. We get one ten thousandth of 1% of the National Institute of Health budget dedicated to PCOS research. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I will go on record as saying I think there's significant bias against researching disorders that affect women. Yeah, yeah. And it is, you know, it's hard to pin down. So it's, you know, no disease is good, but it's very simple, for example, to identify breast cancer. Everybody gets it. Everybody's known of an aunt or a friend that had it. You know, we see the red ribbons all over the place, but it's just not something that is a consistent presentation. Mm -hmm. It's embarrassing symptoms, like really embarrassing symptoms. You may have a deeper voice and, you know, the bad skin and the, the overweight and all of that. Mm -hmm. A lot of women are hiding out with it. Yeah. Um, so it's really difficult to treat because, again, we don't really for sure know the cause. And so there are some things that we know help, but it's just, it's really difficult. And it's got kind of a narrow medical focus, which is like, okay, well, we're, we can do this to help you lose weight, we can do this to treat diabetes, we can do this to get you pregnant. Mm. And beyond that, then most people are not made aware that there are other deeper health concerns, especially from my perspective, of course, as a health psychologist, what's going on on the mental health side, because if you're dealing with depression, anxiety, and eating disorder, how are you going to take care of yourself physically mm. when you've got all that going on mentally and emotionally? So again, really complicated. And part of what we are working on now, and when I say we, I mean, I'm part of the health advisory board of PCOS challenge, which is the largest national charity dealing with PCOS. Mm. We've made some real progress around getting this to be more likely to be identified as a public health priority. And I truly do feel that it is a public health priority because the costs associated with this disorder are incredibly high, like mm. really immeasurable at this point. So we've got a measure in the house and there's some advocacy action going on and that sort of thing, but it's, it's hard to get people involved in doing that. Well, and as you said, um, you know, it can be embarrassing, I think you said, or mm -hmm. it can be really hard to maybe reach out for help. And I noticed that on your website, you said one of the major struggles for people that have PCOS is that they maybe don't feel very feminine or very mm -hmm. pretty or attractive. And I think about what is the stereotypically beautiful woman and then thinking mm -hmm. about what, you know, having maybe extra hair on your face or on your arms or having a deeper voice or whatever it is that, and you can't get pregnant. Like these are all the things you were supposed yeah. to do. I mean, I know right. not everyone chooses to have a baby, but that's like yeah. our, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's the thing. It's, it, 
PCOS leaves you generally looking and feeling exactly the opposite of what we are, quote, supposed to do. Mm-hmm. It's a very defeminizing condition because, because of having excess androgens, the male hormones, and all women have some male hormones. That's where we get our libido from, among other things. But it's something where there's a lot of shame associated with it and of people who don't fit the norm. So if you have these conditions, and especially I hear a lot from women about facial hair being a problem. So if you have so much facial hair that you actually have a beard and you have to shave every day to keep it contained, Mm. what do you think happens when we're talking about dating, for example? How do you, how do you hide that? You know, you get up an hour early and shave before your honey wakes up. Um, It's something where it really can lead to a lot of social isolation. Mm. Same thing with very bad skin and acne is triggered again by the excess androgens. And with the weight issue where it's problematic, I mean, everyone seems to not be happy about the idea of being fat, but it is not something that responds well to traditional dieting. People with PCOS have an incredibly difficult time losing weight. And so, and what they hear all the time is eat less, exercise more. Well, the body that has PCOS doesn't handle stress very well. And so oftentimes exercising a lot more is something that results in the beginnings of an eating disorder. So for example, I had um, not the kind of binge purge bulimia when I was a teen and in my 20s, but binge starve bulimia and exercise bulimia. So I would swim for five hours a day and reduce my calories to maybe 800 calories a day. Well, I'm five foot 10. Wow. (laughs) That is like not even remotely adequate. It's like starvation. Yeah. Yes. And guess what? I was still fat. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So it's incredibly unfair. It's frustrating. Some people will give up and just say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to eat whatever I'm going to eat. So coupled with this is the the mood disorder stuff. And so when we think about lack of serotonin, lack of dopamine, self-medicating, carb cravings are really, really common. And so having binge eating disorder, also getting pushed down that path of, you know, maybe you had some success with exercise. And so you keep going because everybody out there tells you keep exercising, just just stick to it, girl. Right. And that's just not the truth. Mm. And so but it's one of those things where you end up feeling sort of like, well, am I crazy because I'm doing everything they say and it's not working. So I must be wrong. I must be bad. I must not be doing this right. Oh my right, gosh. Which then leads to further guilt, shame, embarrassment, avoidance. A lot of women won't go to the doctor for years and years and years because, especially now with electronic medical records, um, you know, if you're in the overweight or obese category, they immediately are required to advise you to lose weight. Oh um, I have many patients who have been referred to bariatric surgery consultation. First doctor's appointment. You wow. Going back to the doctor. Probably not. Oh my gosh. So it's all that stuff. Like I deal in my practice in general with a lot of medical trauma. And I think there's this, this space between, you know, what are the facts? What are the risks? And what's the reality of this particular condition? Yeah. Well, and if the doctors don't have the resources or the knowledge about 
Picos and how to manage it, like they're going to just say, yeah, like go on a diet, stop eating, manage your exercise instead of let's break this down and look at it and from a different perspective. Yeah. So I really come at things I'm very respectful of and appreciative of Western medicine. Absolutely. But I also have a very heavy experience and in training with Ayurvedic and Eastern traditional Chinese medicine. Mm. Um, every, so my perspective is really holistic and integrative because I don't believe that either system is curative. Mm-hmm. They're both great in their own ways. But you've got to really develop a program that is gentle, consistent, customized. And so that is something that is not easy to do. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine hard to do on your own, especially if there isn't a whole lot of information out there. It's, it's really difficult. And unfortunately, what else I see a lot of is there's... There are some quick fixes that are not necessarily evidence-based. And, you know, in psychology, we're always talking about evidence-based treatment. So Mm -hmm. um, one of the most popular approaches is, oh, just go keto and that'll fix everything. Well, the only actual research we have supporting long-term use of keto is for people with seizure disorders. Wow. We don't have, (laughs) there is no (laughs) research supporting this as a cure for keto. But yeah, if you do keto and do it right, you will lose a whole bunch of weight up front. Well, what's going to happen to your social life, your kidneys, your hair, all of these other things Mm. um, along the way. And so, and then there's a lot of, of other stuff that goes on online, like body shaming or, you know, people who have figured out a fix for themselves, promoting themselves as experts on the subject. Yeah. And it's, it's a tough thing because when you're, you know, I liken it to, um, you know, like many years ago, cancer patients were running down to Mexico for like Laetrile treatments. And Laetrile was a drug that had been outlawed in the United States and coffee enemas and anything that would, you know, that would fix them. Right. And it's similar with PCOS. There's just a lot of desperation and misery. Like, how do I make my body cooperate? Mm -hmm. How do I fix myself so I can be pregnant and I can be thin and I can be pretty and popular and happy? Wow. So there's some correlations there that don't necessarily follow, but we pretty much all believe that they're connected. Mm. Um, So that's where this gets really complicated. You know, people get burned out with being professional patients and you get kicked around to a lot of different healthcare professionals when you have PCOS because nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows what to do with you. You're a complicated patient. They can't just prescribe a pill to and Mm. get on with their day. Mm. And so you know, I often get requests for referrals to doctors, and I don't have a lot that wow. I can refer people to. And that's sad and hard, too. That is so sad and hard. And especially, I mean, I know that there can be a lot of fat shaming from the medical yes. profession. And so mm-hmm. if you're already struggling with this, trying to figure out what's going on, and then your doctor says, well, just go on a diet, like that's... that's mm-hmm. yeah. That, That's exactly what happens. And as we all probably know by now, doctors don't receive much, if any, training in the dietary and nutrition portion of health. And it really is primary for treatment of of PCOS. Mm. And so that's, that's something frustrating also. And the medications, there's three medications that are commonly prescribed for PCOS. 
One, as I mentioned, is birth control pills. And the idea is we're just going to force your system into alignment and we will produce a period and then you're healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, the second is metformin, which is an uh, insulin sensitizing medication. And it's the most commonly prescribed oral medication for diabetes. It has been shown to stave off the onset of type 2 diabetes. Okay. So it's fairly valuable in that regard. But it is well known for one side effect, which is sudden diarrhea. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So if you don't titrate slowly onto it, you're much more likely to get this horrifying side effect. And so I have have my patients and I have identified, we call it having a metformin moment Mm. and they'll just bolt for the bathroom. So that Mm. is something that, you know, naturally how can you function if you're sitting in class or at the office or you know on a date on a date oh. that would be completely horrifying oh my so gosh. many women will stop taking it yeah. Um, yeah this then sends them down the alternatives approach and supplements there are some supplements that are helpful for the same things but it's also a thing where and i did this myself as well um, may end up taking as many as 100 supplement pills a day in a quest to regulate everything and to lower blood sugars and improve the hirsutism and all of that stuff. So that's a whole other part of this that can create side effects. And nobody talks about it. And everybody acts like, oh, supplements are great. Mm. Um, and then wow. the third prescription is called spironolactone. And it's prescribed for reducing acne and helping with the um, hair loss on your head. And it's a pretty strong medication. It's the least prescribed of the three, but they're all attempts to just override and squash what your body's naturally doing. And of course, notice how I'm a mental health professional and how much of this that we're talking about is actually the mental health part. It gets incredibly neglected. Yeah. And it's very, very rare to find a doctor who recognizes oh, maybe this hormonal imbalance is actually contributing to this poor person having all of these mood disorder symptoms. Maybe they have an eating disorder because they've been on 40 or 50 diet at this point. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, super, Mm. super complicated and really, really difficult. But I think it's important for mental health professionals to know about it because you know, I think, again, realistically, somewhere around one in five women are dealing with this. And we were all taught in grad school to screen for thyroid disorders. You know, if you're hypothyroid, it's going to look like depression. If you're hyperthyroid, it's going to look like anxiety. That's Mm -hmm. probably about as much health education as we get integrated into our grad school educations. Right. Also, (laughs) but hopefully that part sticks and you send somebody to the doctor, right? To screen, to screen out that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But beyond that, there are many things we need to know about. We should all know about what are the more obvious symptoms of stroke or other traumatic brain injury? We should know about a little bit more in the endocrine zone than just the thyroid disorders. We should know things like 90% of people who've had a heart attack will end up with major depressive disorder. Right. And so that's where I'm very passionate about educating clinicians, especially because 
this is not the kind of information you generally go looking for unless you're really having bad symptoms. Mm, yeah, yeah. And so I know on your website, you advocate for women with PICOS to like live a life that they love. And so how, mm-hmm. how do you help them do that? Because, you know, it feels hard based on what yes. you've described, right? It's, re- it's really hard. And what I usually think about is, is the most common thing is like to have some depression or dysthymia, which mm-hmm. is like chronic low level mm-hmm. depression for those who don't use that term. Yeah. Um, and so it's hard to get motivated. And when you have failed so often to do what everyone says you've got to do, lose weight, exercise more, right? Mm-hmm. It is something where you've got to really look deep and hard inside and find the motivation. But what I find is really helpful, again, people re-regulated. I look at, at sleep mm. as the basis of all health. There's so much repair and restoration work that happens in sleep. And culturally now we tend to idolize people who are like, I get by on four hours a night. I know. Well, that's mostly bogus for that's about so crazy. Of people. Yeah. And right. crazy. crazy. Right. Yes, it is. And so I reverse that information and I talk about, here's your homework, sleep an extra half hour tonight. Wow. <laughs> I make it easy. Mm-hmm. So, cause who doesn't want to sleep for an extra half hour tonight? Yeah. And then we start talking about other things. I want to get people out in nature, outside for 20, 30 minutes a day, get a little bit of sun exposure to up your vitamin D, also activate your melatonin at night. So again, this is improving sleep cycles, get a little bit of gentle exercise, not too stressful on the body, just get out and walk around. Mm-hmm. Um, I add in meditation. My my favorite app that should probably be paying me a commission is the Insight Meditation app. Oh yeah, it's a f- free download. You can pick music, talking, anything from a minute and a half to who knows how long of a meditation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be fancier than that. Like I will teach half a dozen forms of meditation in my practice. But really, if all you can do is is get more sleep meditate a little bit every day, get outside for some fresh air, sunshine and exercise. Those things are going to be the dramatic start to a change in health. Mm. The next level of that is working with the nutritional part, because there's a lot we can do. And and people with PCOS also tend to have more gut health issues. Okay, so more, more gastrointestinal distress. Um, Again, things like diarrhea, IBS, constipation, that's not triggered by the metformin prescription. Okay. And so I don't know if you follow this very much, but there's been a lot of discussion in the last couple, three years about gut health and brain health. Oh, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So most of our serotonin is produced in our gut. Well, if the gut is impaired, you've got an impairment in those chemicals in your brain, and it contributes to mood disorders, and probably a lot of other things that we don't have clarity on yet. But, um, you know, when you don't get enough sleep, for example, you tend to have carbohydrate cravings, your body is craving energy, when Mm. what it really needs is sleep. And yeah, so I start with that. And then You know, there are a few resources that are helpful for looking at the nutritional side of things, but it's fairly simple. Drink plenty of water, eat consistently, eat a lot of green vegetables, don't eat too much sugar, don't eat too much white flour stuff. Mm. And so I work with things that are pretty commonly known and agreed upon, and I help people develop 
dietary approaches if if I'm doing coaching or consulting with them mm-hmm. um, that work for them. So the idea of having somebody else dictate it to you, I feel almost always leads to eventual failure. Yeah. It's good to get the education, but to really figure out and, um, another fun fact, PCOS patients have way more allergies than usual. Oh my and gosh. <laughs> like wow. it's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, so looking at those things and it, you know, I see many people who've been through several dietitians, several of the trendier eating plans, you know, they've done the elimination diets, but Again, it's like, well, yeah, everybody says gluten-free, gluten-free, but guess what? A lot of gluten-free products actually cause gastrointestinal distress. Oh my gosh. So you can see how applying the common prescriptions of like, take these 12 supplements, go gluten-free, right? Mm-hmm. All of these sorts of things, you know, an exercise more could actually make the patient way worse. And so I work on giving a lot of psychoeducation about all of those sorts of things and figuring out what do they like? What do they want? What's their lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Are they actually going to be okay? Maybe being a size 12 instead of a size two. Yeah. So issues around, around the body and working, you know, we, you brought up the issue of, of loss of femininity, which is really strong, but I do talk about things like how to dress in a way that is suitable, mm-hmm. how to do things if you want to, to treat the excess hair. how to work with makeup, how to work with other things to make yourself feel more attractive, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of redefining some of the traditional standards of beauty and looking at what else is beautiful. So one of the small benefits of having PCOS is that um, women tend to gain muscle mass more easily. So Mm. where it might take somebody else a month of working out to see a little muscle definition, a PCOS patient might see it in seven to 10 days. Oh, wow. And Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. That is, that is. (laughs) So I'll take things like that and say, all right, you've got, you know, let's work on this. You can develop amazing legs in next to no time. Mm. How about if you focus on that? Let's not focus on trying to wear a belt, but maybe wearing a short skirt or shorts that'll show off what you think is your best part. Right. Mm. So it's it's really also not being afraid to talk about this stuff because it's kind of politically incorrect to say make yourself prettier. But right. we know from things like the American Cancer Society's Look Good Feel Better program, when you can make yourself feel more normal, more attractive, more average, more beautiful, it does confer positive psychological benefits. And I think that's really meaningful. And it's it's a missing piece in a lot of of treatment in general. It's like this idea of, well, just, you know, make sure your brain's functioning. Okay, well, there's a lot of ways to get there. And I, I'm, when you're working with something so complicated, I will take a 3% improvement here, a 5% improvement here and a 1% improvement over there. And it all starts to add up. And then we start to get overall health. So if you start liking the way you look a little bit better because you're buying clothes that suit your current body as opposed to your fantasy body, maybe you'll be a little bit more motivated to choose vegetables instead of whatever, you know, brownies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> right, right. I'm a big advocate of brownies <laughs> because dark chocolate is health food. Oh, and they're so good, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I have a low sugar brownie recipe that's actually really intensely chocolatey. Wow. Um, wow. Nice. And yeah, up to an ounce of dark chocolate a day is very healthy food for you. And so I'm big also on bringing back pleasure because what happens a lot in treatment of PCOS and other chronic illnesses that have a weight component to them is that patients get such a strong directive to cut things out, eliminate, deprive. They've lost their joy in food. Mm. And yeah. Food is such an important and strong part of our, our culture, our families, our celebrations. And so bringing some joy back into that, I give, I give permission a lot, you know, That's and I nice. talk about reality, which is like, I'm thinking of one uh, particular client of mine, she would always order the salad when mm. she would go out with her friends who were of course ordering, you know, cheeseburgers and fries and beer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're at some like sports bar or something. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, you've got a little bit of homework go online and, and do a little bit of research and you come back and tell me how many calories and how much fat are in the chef salad or the cob salad you're always ordering and look up the same information for say cheeseburger and fries. Right. And I always get this like, Oh my God, I had <laughs> no idea that this salad has 1600 calories and 80 grams of fat. And I could be eating a cheeseburger and fries for like <laughs> half the fat and a thousand calories. And enjoying what? it a heck of a lot more, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Feeling normal, enjoying it. I don't promote eating that every single day. But if you love it and you go out with your friends every couple of weeks and you eat that and you basically devote yourself to healthier foods, the rest of the time. Yeah. You know, it's like about destigmatizing the relief that comes from that. Like I heard it in your voice, you know, just like, yeah, yeah <laughs> enjoy it. Right. I mean, I am all about enjoying food because I love yes. it. And yeah. right, it does bring joy and makes you feel good. And um, it's pleasurable. And exactly. And it's, it's really important because it's something we do several times a day. It is a major player. Like, you're always going out and socializing around food. I mean, I also encourage people to go out and socialize around exercise, take a walk at the beach, play a game of tennis with your friend. Right. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be meeting for fatty snacks and wine. Right. Um, right. That's also fine. Mm -hmm. And I think that that in and of itself, just the relaxation that comes with it is such a powerful de-stressor oh and that gosh. can help, you know, because people tend to get really ruled by their dietary restrictions oh. and that, that creates a lot of stress. And the oh. last thing we need is more stress in our bodies. Yeah. Well, and as you said, the, the whole diet mindset is deprivation or restriction. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you're doing it and it's not working and people, you know, your physician or whoever is judging you for not getting it right, I would imagine it's a breath of fresh air to come, you know, to you or to another clinician that understands Pigos to say, mm -hmm. all right, let, maybe we can let that piece go. Let's, let's look about the kind of differently. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's something where, um, and when you can stop focusing on that so heavily, because the truth is that if you're starving yourself with inadequate calories, which by definition is what a diet is, then it really is distracting. It's hard to focus on work or school. You're grumpy. You're irritable. You feel deprived. You're angry. You're sad mm -hmm. about all of these things. Because the reality is, I think I actually know four people who eat to live 
The rest of us pretty much live to eat in some way or another. Yeah. We like to bake or cook or go out or, you know, whatever it is, watch the food channel. Right. Um, but with that, it's like, oh, there's a whole part of your brain that gets freed up to do other things. Well, right. Now what? Hmm. Maybe you can focus on what makes you happy instead of what makes you sad and miserable. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your book that's out there, sure. uh, the the Picos Mood Cure. Talk to us about yes. that. Okay, so the book is the PCOS Mood Cure: Your Guide to Ending the Emotional Roller Coaster, and uh, I published it in July of last year. So it's available on Amazon and on Barnes and Noble in electronic and paperback formats. And what it is is an explanation of what all of the psychological symptoms related to PCOS are and how they present in kind of uniquely PCOS ways. But it's actually a book that's relevant for pretty much any woman and anybody with any sort of endocrine or hormonal issue, whether it's perimenopause, menopause, diabetes. And then it's a holistic and integrative approach to identifying your problem areas and working on improving them. So sleep, supplements, nutrition, exercise, meditation, stress reduction. Also a little bit about dealing with the grief um, mm, yeah. that's associated with having a chronic illness. Yeah. There's a whole other book in me about things like the infertility issues and the dating and sexual and relationship issues associated with PCOS. But it's a book that pretty much anybody with PCOS or who thinks they might have PCOS or some other hormonal or endocrine disorder should take a look at because it is how to bring yourself back into center. And that's really what health is about. We're looking at the body is always struggling to get back into equilibrium or homeostasis. And it's hard if it's not supported correctly. And, and when we take really extreme approaches like severe diets or over-exercise or the 100 supplement pills, we make it even harder for our bodies. Mm -hmm. And similarly with mental health, there's a lot you can do uh, in terms of all of those self-care things. Yeah. Quite a lot of information people are not aware of around caffeine usage. How does sugar affect your sleep? Alcohol usage. What is? What are those stress hormones actually doing? Mm -hmm. How does it help? One thing we do have a lot of studies on, for example, is that yoga is good for patients with PCOS. Mm -hmm. And so I talk about all those things and how you can get started really easily and do it yourself and when, where, and how to identify medical and mental health professionals if you're struggling and, and don't know where to begin. But the book is really the starting place. Like if you read it, light bulbs will go off, you'll connect all these symptoms and realize mm. what's happening and what you can start doing. So that was the purpose of the book. Yeah. Well, I, I would just say, um, Gretchen, I appreciate your more holistic uh, viewpoint on all of this. It just feels very, as you said, centering and validating and I don't know, human. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, um, medicine has gotten very dehumanized, I think, in a lot of ways. I think at this point, I have one doctor who still uses paper medical records and who sits there and looks at you. Mm. Well, she is seeing you for half an hour. <laughs> right. And everybody else is tapping away at their iPad or laptop that they carry from room to room and, you know, trying to rush you through. And so I think that 
the great thing about psychotherapy is this is your time. Once a week, you come into this quiet room, you, one other person, 45 or 50 minutes, total focus on you. I create a very gentle environment. We have a fountain in the waiting room, soft mm. colors in my treatment room. The couch is way too comfortable. <laughs> and <laughs> I get it. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things where you just, you sort of feel your blood pressure dropping when you enter the environment and it's a sample of what is possible. Yeah. And yeah. so that then feeds and it's like, oh, I liked that. I can do some of this outside of that room. Mm -hmm. And so that where, is where I think that the, the inclusion of the psychotherapy in this is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, I really appreciate it. I know, boy, I know we're all busy, but I appreciate you taking the time to to talk to the listeners about Picos. And I know that I learned some stuff, so I think they probably did too. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to share information about something that affects way, way, way more people than we usually think we know. Right. So when, when people start hearing about it, it's like, oh, that's what I might have. Let me ask some more questions or do some research. And that, that to me is invaluable because it's actually saving lives. Yeah. Unfortunately, something I didn't mention is that um, uh, cancer is much more common in women with PCOS, endometrial cancer. Mm. And, um, and that's because of not having a period, not having those monthly bleeds, you build up bad cells in your uterus, and sometimes they can turn cancerous. Sometimes also the cysts that do form in the ovaries can be cancerous about 1% of the time, which is not a huge number, but it's a meaningful number. Mm -hmm. And um, from the psychological perspective, there's also a seven times higher suicide rate. Mm -hmm. And so when people do not know about this disorder, lives are lost. Yeah. And that's like, we're in the business of saving lives. Absolutely. So that's, that's what I'm all about with this. Yeah. Well, thanks again. So I'm glad to have a chance to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. If anybody has any questions for me, you can find me through PCOSwellness.com. I also have a private Facebook page called PCOS Psychology, where I am there every day answering questions and comments um, and happy to point people in the right direction if they have questions or are looking for information. Awesome. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. I will um, add those to the show notes so people can mm -hmm. and links to those so that people can find you. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. And to the book too. Awesome. All right. Thanks. All right. You are welcome. Thanks again for tuning in to the Woman Warriors podcast. My conversation with Dr. Gretchen really uh, highlighted for me how difficult PCOS can be, polycystic ovary syndrome, how little is known about it, how little it's talked about, and how important it is for people to better understand it, especially for women to better understand maybe what's happening for them. So I hope you took away some new knowledge and some information that you found helpful. Um, once again, if there are topics that you feel it would be important for me to cover here on the podcast, reach out. You can find uh, my email contact information through my website, womanwarriors.com, 
or progressioncounseling.com. Thank you, listeners and subscribers. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, I would truly appreciate it if you did. It helps me reach more people, more women, and that's my goal is to reach as many women as I can to help them better understand and manage their anxiety. So maybe we can all just call a truce in this battle with our anxiety. I hope you all have a terrific week. Ciao for now from This Woman Warrior. Thanks for listening and subscribing to the Woman Warriors podcast. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes, the resources shared today, and links to the guests' profiles at womanwarriors.com. Thank you.